Hey, everybody. So you know this because we just sang about it a little bit ago. And it's that you don't get to experience new wine until there's been a, a crushing or a pressing of the grapes. So we're here at Bazo Family Vineyard, amazing vineyard, 12,218 vines. Uh, another fun fact, in January, they, they pruned these vines when they were for all intents and purposes dead. But they pruned them in preparation for a very exciting event in the life of the vine. It happens in just a couple of weeks. It's called the bud swell. And that's when these vines, they enter into new life. Listen, new life is good. And today's message is all about the, the number one most important thing that we all need to go through in order to experience new life. I think nature is so incredible. Just the amount of like death it goes through in order to bring about new life. It's, it's awesome and kind of inspiring all at the same time. We're going to be talking about that a lot today in the message. Um, but hey, listen, if it's your first time joining us, you picked a great Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a really big deal for Christians. Um, although it is kind of a paradox. You know, we, we celebrate Palm Sunday because the accounts of Jesus's life tell us that on, on this day, the Sunday before his arrest and his, his crucifixion, Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the last time to this incredible welcome. This, this praise and adoration of people who are just loving him and they're on the street laying down their coats and laying down branches that they cut down. And there's this incredible worship that Jesus actually affirms. So much so there's this one point, the, the, the praise of the people uh, is so overwhelming that religious leaders get frustrated and they're like, Jesus, this is too much. You got to tell these people to stop. And Jesus says, oh my goodness, listen, if I tell them to stop, you won't believe it, but the stones will begin to cry out. This powerful moment. Palm Sunday is powerful. This amazing donkey ride that was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. This, this really intense moment where Jesus, he sees Jerusalem for the, for the first time, the last time at that perspective. And he begins to weep. Oh my God, Palm Sunday is so powerful, but it's a paradox because at the same time, we know that the people were praising Jesus and worshiping Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And while all this praise was happening, the religious leaders, they were already plotting and planning Jesus's arrest and his death. And so it's kind of a paradox. Honestly, Palm Sunday, it makes me think of being a, a kid as a Browns fan. 1999, we hadn't had a football team. All of a sudden, the Browns are coming back to Cleveland. We welcome the team back with, with parades and celebrations. And then they get killed. Like, that's Palm Sunday. Like, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem with all this fanfare. Five days later, he's dead. And his disciples are mourning. There's, there's so much tension around this. Anyways, here's why I'm excited for today's message. The way that Palm Sunday affords us the opportunity to lean into what is arguably Jesus's most influential act, because we're closing a series called Influencers. And it's all about how Jesus, when he came to change the world, he chose the path of influence. He didn't come and use his power and his position. He didn't bribe us or pay us to make the change. He said, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna live this life and it's gonna inspire you to change. And that's an incredible thing. And, and Palm Sunday affords us the opportunity to lean into what is arguably Jesus's most influential act, his death. You, you can argue that in his death and in his dying, Jesus does some of his most important leading and he does some of his most important teaching. 
No, Jesus, he was very clear. When he came to earth, he said, look, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm, I'm here so that humanity, so that you can have a life and that you can, and you can have life abundant, life to the full. And then he goes on to live and then he goes on to die. And very clearly, he's basically saying this, listen, you wanna get at that abundant life? The pathway to that life is through death. What I wanna take just a few minutes and just wrestle with the implications and the importance of Jesus's death. We wanna wrap our minds around it. And, and, and I'm hoping and I'm praying that in a, in a way, these next few minutes will actually increase our capacity for worship of Jesus. And it will actually, it won't be morbid because we're focusing on death, but it will be inspiring. And I wanna talk about four things about Jesus's death that I think are really compelling. This is not an exhaustive list of ideas about why Jesus's death was important, but these are compelling nonetheless. So number one, Jesus's death. It was the capstone act of Jesus's perfect rejection of self-exaltation and self-preservation. Two weeks ago, we talked about the righteousness of God, the equity and justice of God. We talked about the reality that the community of God, the God community, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that they exist in perfect harmony, that their relationships are characterized by mutual admiration, by self-sacrificing love, that their commu- the community of those persons is perfect equity and justice, it's righteousness. And Jesus was the perfect righteousness of God revealed to mankind. Jesus came to the earth to say, hey, humanity struggling with equity and justice, like let me show you what you were made to reflect and engage and let me live out in the flesh the life I've been living in community with the other members of the God community. And in order for Jesus to do that, he had to live life on earth in the flesh in a perfect rejection of self-exaltation and self-preservation. Look, the members of the God community, they don't, they don't exalt themselves over other members in the God community. There are no hierarchies. There are no power struggles. And Jesus needed to live that out perfectly here on earth. And so from start to finish, Jesus did that. You remember his temptations in the desert where he was tempted to self-preserve and he was tempted to self-exalt. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. Those are the things that destroy community and destroy relationships from the beginning all the way to the end when he's facing death. And he's again tempted by a guard who says, if you're God, save yourself. Jesus says, no, I, I won't. I'm rejecting self-preservation. I am rejecting self-exaltation because that's what it takes to be in righteous community, in equitable and just community. And Jesus's death was the capstone act of Jesus's perfect rejection of those things. I won't do it. I don't, I don't care. It's not worth it. The relationships are too important. And to the point of death, I will not self-exalt and I will not self-preserve. That is huge and it's really important and it's really important for Christian theology because there's an idea in the Christian world, though we are unrighteous, we become acceptable to God and we achieve a new status with God because Jesus was righteous, because he was perfect, right? He replaces us here. He covers our lives. Well, imperfect doesn't replace imperfect. 
It's Jesus's perfection that stands in the gap for me. And so Jesus's perfect rejection of self-exaltation and self-preservation was really important. And that's why his death was really important the way that he died. That's number one. Number two, his death, it shaped who he needed his followers to be. Look, if if Jesus's followers were going to turn the world upside down, they weren't going to be able to do it by playing by the world's rules. And and the rules of the world are, are this. Look, you want to affect change? Climb the ladder. Climb the ladder of power to affect the most change. Climb the ladder. Become climb the ladder of being the best orator or the, the best businessman or the best this. Climb those ladders to power so that you can affect change. And Jesus said, nope. Like for us to get to where we need to go, we're not climbing ladders. In fact, we're initiating a movement toward community where we're descending ladders, where we're lowering ourselves. Like he, he's famous for saying, look, whoever wants to be greatest among you must be the servant of all. Uh, he, if when you go to a dinner party, choose the seat of least honor. So instead of, look, think about the implications for Jesus's followers. Instead of, oh, my leader was an incredible teacher. So to follow him, I must climb the ladder and become an incredible teacher. Instead of that, or instead of my, my leader was the most righteous person. So to follow him, I must become the, I gotta climb the ladder of righteousness. Oh my goodness. If all of Jesus' followers just thought their main goal was to, to climb ladders of righteousness, we become just horrible monsters, self-righteous. Uh, we're no good for the world. Instead of those things, Followers of Jesus can look and say, oh, no, my leader laid down his life. My leader modeled self-sacrifice and sacrificial love to that extent. It's why first century followers of Jesus Christ were able to write the things like the apostle Paul wrote here in Philippians 2. He writes this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And he continues, listen to this, so powerful. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Jesus's death was important because it shaped who he needed his followers to be, to initiate the movement that he wanted to change the world. That's number two. Number three, Jesus's death was the clearest statement God could ever make about his heart for humanity. And here's why. You always know what something is worth to somebody by what they're willing to go through to get it. I actually was talking with uh, a young professional at Grace just this, uh, the past couple weeks ago. Her name was Olivia Harper. Her and her husband, Anthony, are, are fairly new to Grace. They started coming during the pandemic. And she told me the story about how she won a brand new car because she wanted it more than anybody else who was in a competition. 
She was fortunate enough to be a part of this fundraiser for an organization called Hands on Hope, which raises awareness and money for pediatric cancer patients. And, and she's there and it was the classic like, okay, I'm going to keep my hand on this car. 10 of us or however many, we're going to keep our hand on the car. Whoever keeps the hand on the car longest gets the car. Who wants it more? What are you willing to endure to take this car home with you? What are you willing to endure? 50 hours she stayed there with her hand on a car and she took that car home. But the reality, the, the truth is you always know what something is worth based on what someone is willing to go through to get it. And in Jesus's death, he says, that's how much you're worth to me. That's what I'm willing to go through to win you over. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why Jesus's death was incredibly important and why I'm so thankful for it. Okay, that's number three. Now, number four. And this is the, the Easter spoiler alert because now we're gonna be looking past Jesus's death. But this is why Jesus's death was so compelling and so important, why I'm so grateful for it. It's because Jesus's death afforded humanity the opportunity to see Jesus's resurrection. Humanity got to see what our souls quietly whisper to us our whole lives. And that's that, that death is not the end. That yes, in, in fact, the life we live in these bodies is temporary. It's a kind of shadow life for the life that we will live afterwards in, in new glorified bodies. We got to see it. Humanity got to see that what Jesus had been talking about is absolutely true. That the pathway to life is through death. And what's crazy is you know what happened? Followers of Jesus actually began to look forward to that day. They began to look forward to following Jesus through death into new life. Like, and they began to write things like, like Paul wrote in Philippians 1, where he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Like, I, I eagerly await the day where I get to, to be in that life where Jesus led us. But that's in his hands. That's his timing. You know, while I'm here on this earth, I've got, I'm going to be about the purposes he has for me. And I'm going to let him take care of when that time is right for me. Because Jesus spent a lot of time leading up to his death, teaching his followers what it was going to be like on the other side. Like, what is this life like that they can look forward to that happens on the other side of death, this life abundant? And he talked about it like a banquet and a feast and and all kinds of celebrations. He talked about having rooms in, in God's house. He talked about an, an experience of life that is free, fully from pain, from fear, from tears, from from any and all of that. And up to that point, though, his followers, they're like, it sounds great. But how do we know? Like, how do we know all of that is true? Like, OK, maybe we can trust him because his miracles are pretty impressive and his teaching is pretty profound. So we, we'd like to think that everything he's saying is true. Claims about he claims he's making about himself. Pretty wild, eh, a little suspect, but pretty inspiring or pretty charismatic. But they're still like, how do we know? How do we know? But then Jesus, he allowed them to watch him die. He allowed them to, to watch him hang on that cross until his heart stopped. He allowed his followers to watch his side be pierced and for his blood to run out. And he allowed them to watch them take his lifeless body off of that cross and put it in a tomb and cover that tomb with the stone and seal that stone and then guard it with guards. And then for three days, he let it sink in that he was dead. 
But then the earth shook and the stone rolled away and Jesus resurrected and, and the disciples got to now see him in his resurrected body, his glorified body. They got to put their fingers in the hands, in his, the holes in his hands and the holes in his side. And then they got to say, okay, now we know. Now we know that everything you said was true. Now we can trust you completely. And in that moment, they knew that they could live full on. And then his followers were able to say, okay, that is how we know. Say no more. And the life waiting for me, let's go. And, and what you'll, and when you read stories of first century followers of Jesus Christ is that they began to live with this incredible, I'm so excited about what I'm having for dinner dynamic. Okay. And the high schoolers, if they're paying attention, they're probably rolling their eyes because they're tired of hearing me talk about this. But I think this is a really helpful analogy. Come on. If you ever woken up in the morning and maybe it was a special day, maybe it was your birthday or maybe it was your anniversary, but you knew you knew because it was a special day, what you were having for dinner was going to be amazing. Like you knew the menu. It was all your favorite foods. It was going to be incredible. You're so excited about dinner that it changes the way you think about breakfast and lunch. You know, some days you, you don't, you don't know what you're having for dinner. And so breakfast feels really important. Like you want to get breakfast just right. I know sometimes I go to flip that egg and I break the yolk and I'm so frustrated. I messed up breakfast. Dang it. I'm going to ruin my whole day. Or, you know, I like, I think lunch is important. I want to I gotta feed myself, so I'm, 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 I really wanna hold on to my lunch because, you know, I don't know what I'm having for dinner. I'm not that excited about it. But those days you wake up and you're so excited about what you're having for dinner. You're like, you break the yolk for breakfast. You're like, ah, okay, it's fine. I know what I'm having for dinner and I can't wait for that. Or your lunch, like those days, you know what you're having for dinner and it's, it's so exciting. You're like, you know what? I actually might just give my lunch away today. And Jesus' followers in the moment they became so convinced because they were able to see his death and they were able to see his resurrection, he said, we know that everything Jesus said was true and that what's waiting for us in the life he's promised is so compelling and so amazing that I think about the rest of my life differently. Look, I can give away. I can spend my life giving away. I can spend my life not being so frustrated by, by failures and mistakes because I know what I'm having for dinner. Look, Jesus' death, in it, he does arguably some of his most important leading and some of his most important teaching. And now to kind of bring this all to a close, let's think about what that means for us. He said, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me in this life abundant, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if you want to follow me in the truest of lives, you have to be willing to follow me through death. And just to be clear, Jesus was not talking about a physical death here. Jesus is talking about the sacrificing of a self. He was talking about the rejection of self-exaltation and the rejection of self-preservation. So again, what does that look like? Well, I actually wanted to show you something to make this simpler. So here is me. This is my life. This is the kingdom of me, right, Matt? And in this circle, I'll just put a few things that represent the kingdom of me and everything in my life. Like, first of all, just like my body. It's a big part of who I am. Um, that includes 
that includes my mouth, things that I say, the the money that I have and you know the the house where I live. It includes the the time that I spend on different things. And life basically is like this and there's other things in there, but Here's the thing about this kingdom and the kingdom of me and the kingdom of you in the center of each one of us in the kingdom of us, there is a throne. Somebody has to be in charge of this stuff. Somebody has to make decisions about where to spend the money and somebody has to make decisions about what's going to come out of this person's mouth. And here's the thing, because there's a throne here, you got to think who sits on the throne. Well, it just is common sense. I'm the only one living in my body and I'm the only one speaking out of my mouth. And I'm the only one making decisions about how to spend my money and how to spend my time and what to do in, in my house. When it comes to who sits on the throne of this kingdom of me, I think of me. I'm there. I'm in charge. It's what I say goes. Look, it's my mouth. I get to say what I want with it. My body, I get to do what I want with it. My time, I get to spend how I want with it. All the things. What Jesus is asking us to do and what Jesus is saying is the pathway to true life is actually to make a swap. A coup d'etat, if you will, to, to die to yourself by taking yourself off the throne and instead placing on the throne of this kingdom of you, God himself, Jesus gets to be on the throne of this kingdom. He gets to be in charge. And so instead of my mouth, I get to say what I want with it. It's more like, God, I belong to you. It's your mouth. What do you want me to say with it? You know, this body, Lord, Show me what it means to use it for sacred purposes. God, everything I have, how can we use it for your will? What are your ideas? You're in charge, Lord. And you get on board with this idea that the earth is the Lord and everything in it. And because I'm a part of that, rightfully, Lord, you are on the throne. You end up speaking along the lines of something Paul said in Acts 20, 24. He said, but I do not count my life of any value to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. Look, there is a dying to self that Jesus says is essential and primary if we're ever to find true life. Says the pathway to life is through death. So here's the big question. Why would anybody do that? At the end of the day, all of our journeys are different. But for some of us, we get to a place where we're ready to step off the throne of our lives and we're ready to allow Jesus to assume his rightful place in the, in the throne of our lives because we just basically get to the end of ourselves. We come to a point where we're like, okay, like I've been in charge of me my whole life and it's, it's not working. Like I've run the train off the track so many times. It's, I'm ready to make a change. And so we do. We say, I'm gonna step down and Jesus, let's go. You're in charge, your kingdom. That's some of us. But for others of us, because that's not our story, we, we get to a place where we're ready to step off the throne of our lives and allow Jesus to step in simply because our eyes have been opened to see just how unbelievably amazing Jesus is. Like we begin to see in a deep way how compelling his life was, how perfect his love was. And that's so, it's so amazing and so compelling for us that we're like, oh my God, yes, like 
you belong in charge of this life because I can't do it better than you because you are perfect and our eyes are open to that perfection. Like you say, okay, I get it. Like you get to sit here on this throne of our lives. And that's some of us. And others of us even differently. Like we arrive at that point just logically. It's more of an intellectual thing. Like the historicity of Jesus's life is is compelling. The reliability of the gospels is something you can trust in. It's convincing. There are ideas around first cause and our awareness that as humans, as human beings, we are, we are something much more than just molecular material. We get to a point where we're like, okay, there is a God and it's not me. And between the recorded prophecies and the claims Jesus made about himself and his whole death and his resurrection, all that we become convinced intellectually that there is a God and I'm not God. And so God needs to sit on the throne of our hearts and we invite Jesus to do that. Or maybe it's it's something else, but here's the deal. Regardless of the journey, one thing is true. Nobody arrives at this place because somebody forced them or coerced them into this decision. You can't do that. You can't, you can't force somebody to go into a life through death. That's actually called murder. And God's not in the murder business. Even Jesus, in the way he led us into life through death, said in John 10, he said, no one is taking this life from me. I'm laying it down of my own accord. I'm choosing life through death. Jesus says the same thing to us. When he stepped out of heaven, he stepped into humanity. He said, look, we got to make a change, but I'm not going to force you to change. And I'm not going to bribe you to change. I'm not going to incentivize your change. I'm simply going to allow you to watch me live this indisputably good life. And then I'm going to let you watch me die. And then I'm going to let you watch me rise again. And then you get to make the choice for yourselves. Here's my heart and here's my prayer. That each one of us, in increasing ways, our eyes would become more and more opened to the glory and the power and the beauty of everything about who Jesus was, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And because our eyes are being opened to the beauty of it, it would be so compelling and so inspiring that we would want to follow Jesus. We would find we would want to follow Jesus in his life and in his living. We would want to follow Jesus in his self-sacrificing and his death into true life. And, and now finally, just to, to conclude this service, to really bring it home and, and take a step and do something tangible to engage Jesus's death, the brokenness of his body and the pouring out of his blood. Now's the time you can grab your cracker or your bread and, and your juice or whatever element you have, because we're going to now just take communion together. So one week from today, we will be celebrating the single most important event in human history, the event that changed everything. That's Jesus's resurrec- resurrection. Uh, but today we get to celebrate the event that led up to that. And it was his death, the, the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood that makes life for us in new ways possible, that, that made his resurrection possible. And, and Jesus told us, he said that we're to, to do this thing in remembrance of him. And it's, it's an incredible opportunity for us to really identify with Jesus in his death as we, we take the elements of communion that represent his broken body and his shed blood into ourselves and into our being.
This ceremony or this celebration was actually first completed by Jesus with his followers and the night of the Passover before his arrest and his crucifixion. And so we're patterning our celebration of Jesus's death after that, that dinner. And we're told that the dinner went like this. The Lord Jesus in, in that night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we'll take our our bread or our cracker and break it. The body of Christ broken for you. The passage continues saying, in the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we'll take the cup and drink the blood of Christ poured out for you. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful for who you are. And we're so grateful for what you did. We're grateful that you allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be poured out for us. Lord, we're celebrating that because it was so meaningful and so important. You gave us, you gave us the life to follow. You gave us a clear statement about our worth to you. You gave us the opportunity to see and to know what our souls have been whispering to us that, that Lord, life is awaiting us in new ways. So thank you. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and that this remembrance we do of you wouldn't be just a story we remember, but it would be something that changes our lives and changes our hearts and sets us up to, to move and live and, and love. Lord, we love you. We acknowledge that it's because you loved us first. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we're so grateful that you took the time to worship with us today and to celebrate communion with us today. And we look forward to seeing you back next week for Easter as we celebrate the number one moment in, in all of human history. I'd love to actually send you out with some beautiful words, uh, a benediction that I love to share. I just ask that you receive these words with an open heart because they're really good. Here's your, here's your benediction. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he will show you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors.